0: without um, you know, taking a lot of time i would do a short uh, homage uh, paying my respect to the triple Gem, buddha dharma and sangha and all the lineages of my gurus who have been so kind and grateful um, for my awakening and understanding and the knowledge that i uh, have today so <clears throat> with a visualization of all this i may read some a few verses before I start, normally that's one of my tradition, and also to remember and create positive energies before we start. <laughs> Okay. Now, uh, today, the topic that we are—can we listen properly? Are we listening? Okay. Um, today, the topic that we are going to talk is on yoga. So before we start the actual practice, we should understand what yoga really means, what uh, yoga, how it was founded, and over the thousand years, how it has been like helping people, what are the causes of uh, this yoga, and how we have to apply into day-to-day life, what are the effects, and uh, why the yoga was formed, and so on. So with this understanding, If we practice yoga, then we have this complete understanding of the yoga. And uh, we also understand what sort of yoga we are uh, doing it at present, and how it will affect, and what are the ultimate goal of yoga. So uh, with this understanding, if we practice, um, it makes more sense. It's more convincing for oneself that I'm on a right track and This is the place what I am doing it or this is a practice what I'm doing it so uh, Rather than just taking it as a physical exercise uh, We if we understand the actual meaning of yoga from the depth and then do the exercise I think it makes better sense So yoga literally means union, or to connect, or to merge. So what do you mean by like merging or connecting? Here, yoga means to connect with the inner self. It is more to understand our self from the deeper level and when we understand from deeper level who we are then we understand the whole world the whole universe because we are the microcosm of the universe and universe is the macrocosm of self so that is the purpose of life of course the health physical health, mental peace are also part of life. But since we have taken a lot of life after life, so many chains, immense, uncountable, what is the real purpose of life? And the real purpose of life is to understand oneself. In the sutras of the Veda, it mentions tat that means you are that. Literally, it means you are that, which means you are the pure consciousness. You are the Brahman. This may sound more like a religious teaching, but it is not. It is more of a science. There are religious aspects as well. But when we are talking about the, uh, uh, about the union, or the yoga, the union towards our own self, that means we are understanding who we are. So literally, yoga means "to union." To, in, in a very simplified way, a way, I would say, you are becoming more aware of self, and ultimately, you are understanding who you are. So by now it might have been very surprising for some people who have the understanding of yoga before and now. So we cannot uh, put the yoga just as a physical exercise. So I think uh, we have to understand the ultimate goal of yoga which is to union with self to understand self from the deeper level now this is the literal meaning of yoga the yoga whole yoga um, practice it all appeared starts from uh, the veda it's a part of veda and veda was uh, started Five to seven thousand before Christ era. So that means around the golden age era. So this was uh, this Veda. There are uh, the Veda, the text mentions about all this yoga and other chakras and everything. You know, the whole Hindu mythology comes out of the Veda. And there are four Vedas. Four Vedas. Rig Veda, Sam ved, ved, and Yajur Veda, I think. So, there are four Vedas. And the whole Veda's core teaching lies at the end of the Vedic episode. Which means, uh, the last part, the final part of the Veda, which is the end part of Veda, which is also known as the Vedanta. Vedanta. Ved Veda means the scripture, the holy scripture, or the practice that the Hindu people do and follow. And Anta means the end. So Vedanta means the end of the Veda. So in that Vedanta, the Vedanta was described over a period of time by the masters to the disciple, masters to the disciple. And this process of giving teaching, the secret teaching of how to live a good life, how to connect with the society, how to see the inner world, how to understand the cosmic energy, how to understand the seven chakras and channels within oneself, how to understand the creation of the world. So these all teachings uh, are in the end episode of the Veda, which is called Vedanta. And the process of giving Uh, from teacher to disciple, teacher to disciple, over and over. uh, This is called the Upanishad. So that uh, uh, teaching, uh, that process started maybe 2,500 years back. So the Upanishad takes uh, this process of teacher-disciple teaching process. It started around 2,500 years back. So in this Upanishad, there are various sources of Upanishad. And Upanishad literally means, um, Upa means vice, just like the president and vice-president, principal and vice-principal. So vice is next to or very near. And Nishad means to sit. So the disciple would sit near the Guru and take all the teachings, and the practices, the secret teachings. So this process has been known as Upanishad and it was written over a period of time. So there are various sorts of Upanishads. And among these Upanishad, there is called Yoga Takto Upanishad, which talks about all the yogas, whatever yoga that the Hindu mythology or the Hindu practitioners does it it lies in that Yoga Tattva Upanishad. Yoga Tattva means yoga is union, Tattva is element. Upanishad is getting uh, from the teacher while you are sitting next to him. So that means you get all the secret teaching of yoga uh, elements. And in that yoga element Upanishad or that text, uh, there are four types of yoga. The first one is uh, mantra yoga where where a disciple would chant, and with that sound of different mantra chanting, it somehow creates different vibration where it tends to activate those uh, central energy channels within oneself and also activate the seven chakras so in uh, various different ways, uh, a person gets more aware and more understandable in, um, in the conscious level, I would say, or in the intellectual level. And when a person is uh, more deeper into the conscious, level, there is a possibility of broad thinking, greater instinct, which is called the kundalini yoga. Appearing or generating of the instinct itself is the Kundalini yoga. There is no such thing called two serpents or the snakes. Just uh, going around all the seven chakras that you might have seen. It's a symbol. Symbol of Kundalini. It's not a serpent. It's your energy, which is more like male energy and female energy. In the Taoism, they have yin and yang. Sort of like that of... of, um, uh, energy, uh, how you deal with it and activate the seven chakras. Now, the first uh, yoga uh, that was um, um, let me remind you: <laughs> the first yoga that I have said was mantra yoga, which has to do with the mantra chantings and activate the chakra. The second one is laya yoga, and laya yoga is also uh, known as the Kundalini Yoga. The third one is Hatha Yoga, and you might have heard about the Hatha Yoga. Uh, this Hatha Yoga was introduced uh, around 1890s by the Swami Vivekananda, uh, who came from Calcutta, India, where I used to stay, so uh, <laughs> the same state. Um, so he, when he came to West, he introduced, and uh, uh, it's very good that he came to Chicago and he expressed all these things. So we are somewhere like in the point. And uh, the Hinduism like really flourished uh, after coming to the, uh, the Swami Vivekananda in 1890s in Chicago, where they were having a lot of like, uh, uh, like multi-religious conference or something, where he expressed all these things. And later on, uh, he also introduced uh, the Hatha Yoga. So when we talk about the hot Yoga, I just wanted to give these tips so that we are in Illinois. <laughs> and it's great that after like maybe a hundred and plus years, like we are talking about the hot Yoga once again and remembering who brought this back in, like, uh, in that time to US. So Hatha Yoga really deals with the, the physical exercises. And there is another, uh, the fourth yoga, which is called Raja Yoga. Raja Yoga is considered the king of all the yogas. And the practice that we are going to do is the core of this Raja Yoga. We are not doing Hatha Yoga, we are not doing Mantra Yoga, we are not doing Kundalini Yoga. But of course, if we understand the Patanjali Yoga, that is the core teaching of the Raja Yoga, and among these four yogas, the Raja Yoga is the Supreme. That's called Royal Yoga or the King Yoga, king of all the yogas. So now when we uh, um, have to go through this uh, Raja Yoga, and the essence lies in the Patanjali Yoga. And uh, this Patanjali was a great uh, master who introduced this uh, the, the core essence of the raja yoga which even today uh, in back in india like a lot of people are following it so this patanjali yoga this patanjali yoga started around uh, 200 years before christ era so around the buddha's time i think just right after the buddha's time 2400 years about so In this they have four texts and eight practices, eight limb practice or eightfold practices. Just just like in Buddhism we have. So the four texts uh, talks about uh, how to do the practice and defining all this thing, and we have eight practices and the eight practices or the key practice of the Raj Yoga, which is the Yama niyama asana pranayama and uh, we have uh, pratyahara we have uh, dharana we have dhyana and samadhi so these are the eight uh, aspects or the practices that uh, that is the core practice of the raja yoga in the patanjali yoga so Now, when we have to talk with this uh, eight limbs of practice or eightfold practice of um, the Raja Yoga or the Patanjali Yoga, uh, the first is um, the Yama. And uh, the Yama talks about how to deal with the society, like respecting, compassion, uh, not stealing. Uh, It's it's just like, uh, sort of like, Seven scenes that you don't have to do in Christian uh, philosophy. So something like that. Uh, But the whole thing of the Yama practice is nonviolence. And not being too possessive. um, And austerity and celibacy and all these things. So uh, the first is the Yama. Yama practice. And then the second one is the Niyama. Niyama is... Now the practice is not the uh, not concentrated on the objects, but it's more subject, you know, like more subjective. So, cleanliness and tidiness of the body, and uh, having good behavior, um, and uh, these things like and uh, the practices, all this matters subjectively. So it's on under the. Uh, under the practice of Niyama it is more how to deal with oneself you know like how to deal with the body and speech and so on then there is another uh, practice the third one is the asana now here comes the asana is the postures that you see in the yoga centers that's the asana now in the asanas uh, there is a Hindu mythology uh, which talks uh, once uh, the Lord Shiva's wife, or the consort, who was Parvati. Parvati asked Lord Shiva that how many asanas are there in, in, the, in the yoga. And he says, there are eighty-four hundred thousand postures, asanas. And then she was really shocked. And he says, how come eighty-four hundred thousand? He says, asana is... Exactly uh, like um, there uh, he said like there are eighty four hundred thousand species, you know, the living species, so every species has one asana, so you might have seen like people uh doing like this, it's like makara asana, which is called crocodile posture, you know, and then like there is like Shavasana, asana, which is called dead body asanas, it's mm-hmm. just like a person that like the dead body you know lying down on his back so. These, like, 8400,000 species, so we have 8400,000 um, asanas. So the concert asks Lord Shiva again that, how, how, can, a practi- how can a practitioner practice all these uh, postures? Because it's too many. So can we make it more concise to practice? And then he came under in few hundreds. And then even few hundreds seemed to be, like, too much normal person cannot do so he slashed down into again like 84 that normally like you know, people used to do um, So 84 and even 84 was too much. So So she finally was asking like is there any like uh, asanas uh, like lesser than 84 or make it something like all-in-one <laughs> And uh, Lord Shiva looked at her, and uh, since um, she was the beloved one, so it's like, okay, yes, of course, why not? <laughs> <laughs> we can make it to one, like one for all. And that is the Siddha Asana, which is called the blessing asana on the posture, which where a person sits like this, the right on the, and in between of the thigh and the calf, ankle to ankle, heel to heel. So this is called the Siddha Asana. So he says, the Lord Shiva says, if you stay in the Siddha Asana, <laughs> you are doing 84, you, it's equivalent to 84 hundred thousand asanas. <laughs> so it, generally, generally, it doesn't make much sense because You see over the yoga centers, there are so many different postures for back, for neck, for, I don't know, eyeballs, or anything (laughs) like that. So, (laughs) there are so many asanas, you know, even like the fingernails. So, there are so many asanas. And how can that posture be like one for all? You know, how can that cover all the benefits? Now, over the period... Like a long time, um, there has been a lot of uh, masters, the yogis, who have been doing this, and then they found that uh, with even with the scientific research, I guess they found that uh, if a person stays in the Siddha Asana for three hours and twenty-one minutes without movement the first Muladhara Chakra from the below, which is next, near the genital uh, organ, it starts activating, you know. One of my yoga masters, he activated it and he was telling it that to me and um, he said the moment when it activates, uh, the first symptom is one will have a very gentle fragrance, you know, one can smell the fragrance without any flower, uh, without any incense or perfume, you know, you start to have that sense. And gradually, uh, we we can stay in that level for a longer period, then we overcome another, uh, we, we activate the second chakra, and then third chakra, and then the fourth chakra. So because of that, you might have heard like the yogis staying still for a long, long period. So it's something like um, heating up a car you know, to move on. So in the winters, you have to heat the car for a certain period of time. Then you can move on. So similarly, if a yogi starts uh, doing the meditation and sitting in that posture, trying to charge himself uh, and then move on to the life, then it makes a greater, how you say, impact. Uh, to self and to the society, so therefore still meditation uh, means a lot even in, uh, back in India or scientifically. Now uh, we have talked about yama, niyama, then we are talking about the third one which is called the uh, 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 asana. So this all came related with the asana. I'm going to summarize it once again before I wrap up and we have question answer session so even though uh, this sounds really complicated and when i wrap up it makes a sense and uh, uh, why i'm telling all these things going all like uh, with this old series is because i want you all to understand what yoga really means so please don't limit it yoga is just asanas so we are talking all these things i've been talking is yoga you know so the yama is also yoga and niyama is also yoga so So, um, how to deal with the society becomes a yoga, part of yoga, you know. So, how to deal with oneself becomes a part of yoga. Then, then, asana also becomes a yoga. And then, the fourth one is the pranayama. The pranayama is prana means breath or life. Literally, it means life. But of course, the breath is life. Once the breath is gone, stopped, that means you are dead. Right? Uh, So, in that way, um, the prana is very important. Uh, Let me give you some some understanding on the prana. We all uh, tend to... uh, do exercise, physical exercise and then nutrition, diet and all this, you know, it pops up every now and then in the internet. Like <laughs> the moment you click there is like a uh, big size man and then go before and after. <laughs> you know. And I don't know, like for me I think oh, I was before and after it was like, like <laughs> <laughs> So the other way around So anyway, and um, so The thing is, um, the pranayama, we tend to give a lot of attention to the physical body, which is gross. We tend to give a lot of attention to the uh, food and nutrition, which is also gross. Now, a little bit subtle is we don't take care of the water. We don't take water. Instead of water, we go for coffee. <laughs> Starbucks. So now, here in the pranayama, why the prana is so important, I'm going to that point. So, before that, I start from the physical, uh, like health that we take care of, nutrition and physical exercise, which is very gross. We have to, the subtler, then the first is to take care of the water. Even in our body, uh, 70% you know more than 70% is water and the liquid but we don't take care of that we take care more of flesh you know you see and water becomes more important and more than the more than the water the subtlest is the air and if you see how important food water and air the air is the most important let me give you an example a person cannot die without food in 10 days without food 10 15 days he can exist without food just by having water but without water in 3 days he is dead a person cannot survive and what about the air you die in 3 minutes but our way of looking things, the priority setting is the other way around we look so much at food and there's the gross body too much attention and then we neglect the water and then there are people like who wants to carry like that bottle uh, <laughs> and have water but breathe is like oh it's ongoing things like we don't have to bother about the breathe imagine that's why breathe is called life It is. Subtle, it is not gross. it is subtle, and it is neglected, I tell you. So why this pranayama is all dealing with the breath now? Actually, sometimes uh, human being, human nature, sometimes very uh, funny. Uh, we call ourselves the superior of being on the planet. But I'm sorry to say, don't get me wrong, we don't even know how to breathe. Had it been something like we know how to breathe, I don't think like we will have a lot of ailments. Asthma, migraine pain, skin disease, heart attack, and like pancreas issue, liver issue, like reproductive issues, bone marrow issues. Let me give you another example. You see, every, our body is made out of cells we call it like it's made out of bone bone marrow whatever but if you see in the deeper level it's made out of cell what does the cell needs nutrition and air nutrition we are always inputting more of this whether it's mcdonald or a kfc or whatever we are putting in but well, what about the the air you know There are high tendencies that we don't, we always squeeze our lungs, we don't sit like this. And why are we encouraged to stay our spinal cord straight in the meditation? Not because that Buddha did so and then we are just following him because we like the Buddha, Siddhartha Gautama or so on. Not because of that. There is a scientific reason because when the spinal cord is straight, you expand your lungs more. So rather than bending, bending uh, front, bend behind, better. You know, put some cushion, be in the sofa, but be healthy. So there is a high expansion. You can do like instant research. You sit like this and you try to breathe in. The breath is always little. Compare to you sit like this and breathe Okay, and the, another reason is 70 to 80 percent of whatever the oxygen is Taken by the lungs is supplied to the brain You see it's taken by the brain and then to the nervous system and other thing So the more brain gets oxygen your migraine is gone Remember that. I know a lot of people have migraine pain. They are in the, uh, there is a very good saying in the, in the, in the doctor's book. Uh, they say like uh, mm, there are two types of illness. One is vertical illness, and one is horizontal illness. So, like we see a lot of people like us. We look very healthy. We are in a vertical stage. And we have like some skin problems, some asthma problems, some heart problem, some eye retinal problems, some eardrum problem, some organ problem. But we are in a vertical. We are taking tablets and we are doing our work. <laughs> That's called vertical illness. And as it goes grows or develops, we'll come to the horizontal <laughs> illness, lying on the bed, in the ICUs, you know. Or maybe I don't see you. (laughs) So, so, therefore, like, it all starts from the vertical illness to horizontal illness. Therefore, most of the people, they say most of the people are horizontal illness status. You see. And then we have a lot of prawns, you know, like, Prone to cancer, prone to hepatitis, prone to this, prone to that, prone to a lot of things. We are in that, already in that stage. So how to maintain that, how to preserve that, how to overcome that? So with the practice of pranayama, we are giving the whole body cell, the neurons and the body cell, a lot of oxygen. And because of a lot of oxygen in our uh, body cell, uh, we have how you say the immune system starts working properly. There are like various different uh, like uh, definitions which I don't want to go too long with this, as if or we are talking about uh, uh, medical science or so on. So, but little understanding of medical science is very important before we do the pranayama. So, m- by now you might have understood. When we do the priority setting, our priority setting is upside down. We start from the food, and then uh, we have water, then, and then the breath is never taken care of. Now, when we flip this, that's the real, uh, the right way. So the, the, the air comes the first. So in the Vedas, like, um, like 7, 8,000, 9,000 years back, they have expressed all this because um, they tend to understand it, I would say, they realize it. Uh, but somehow we didn't put it into the practice even in the East. Now with the health, health a lot of health ailment issues, uh, now even back in India they are trying to do the pranayamas. And now uh, yama, niyama, asana and then the pranayama. So. That's why, why we are here, we, I'm trying to teach pranayama. It's uh, easy, to, uh, easy to practice. Why it is easy? Because sick people can do, unhealthy people can do, healthy people can do, children can do, old-age people can do. It's applicable. And it is very easy to practice. And over the research back in India with a lot of scientists, they found over this 15 to 20 years of research, pranayama are more effective than the asanas. And it is more easier to do than the asanas. Imagine. So this is something, uh, scientifically approved thing. So over like lots and, only and in India, by doing the pranayama, uh, they have a record that 250 million people have benefited, and among that 250 million people, I'm one of them. My father is another one of them. So uh, we did it, and we found the result as well, and. I even checked with my organs before coming to United States my organs, internal organs, is 97% okay I checked with all the liver, pancreas, digestive system, respiratory, everything so that is the guarantee we need, you know, I have all the doctor records so uh, these are the benefits that one needs to see You know. We just don't talk all this mythology, but the effect needs to be seen. So therefore, um, what I believe before giving this, I believe that it could be helpful, but I know very little basic, but I think that basic is more than enough for us who are working, you know. And this could really like uh, bring changes into life, the attitude and so on. And it will also help uh, the person build concentration and it will also self-discipline over the period of time. Like a lot of people back in India used to smoke and drink. A lot of people, like maybe like hundreds and thousands of people, you know, like they have quit smoking tobacco, alcohol. Yeah and then they, they, they come in front of like thousands of people and there is a live show going on and then they come with that and they cry, they feel like oh this tradition was seven, nine thousand years old already there we now understand and so lots of people but don't have high expectation practice <laughs> So. Um, even, even my father's case, even my father's case, uh, which uh, he has this uh, dizziness every morning and afternoon, he has very bad dizziness. Uh, the like various doctors have various ideas. He did Chinese medicine, acupuncture, even even the herbal Tibetan medicine, uh, the the antibiotic medicines. He went to optical to see whether it's the eye problem. Yeah. So he continued for like 15 to 20 years, taking pills, like two, three years, this practice, that practice, this cleaning, that cleaning. So he spent a lot of time, money, energy into that. One day, I told him that you should do uh, the pranayama. You don't have to do it. Uh, you, you don't have to like, uh, do it for the whole rest of your life. Just do it for three months, I told him. Because I don't want to ask him to do for whole life. That would be too much in the beginning. And he may not practice. He may just drop that idea. So I said, continue with whatever, like the medicine practice that you are doing it. You can take that pills or whatever. But um, just do this. And he did it. And he did it for three months. There was a little bit of recovery. And I didn't say anything. After that, he continued another three months. And it was much better. So he continued for one year. And like 90% of his giddiness is gone, which was never gone in that 15 years of medication. And in one year, he could overcome. And one and a half year, 101% gone. No more. And he used to wear a speck. And he says his eyesight at the age of 55 and now he's 70, his eyesight is better now. That, that's not a miracle out of prayers, I'm telling you. <laughs> that's a miracle out of your own practice. I won't even say that's a miracle, that's a science. You know, there is two ways of understanding science. S I G N S is also signs, <laughs> so many signs of improvement. See? So, therefore, uh, with this, uh, uh, how you say, uh, experiences, uh, I thought it could help you more or less. You know, even though you're going through treatment, that's fine. You go on with the treatment, or even if you're going through the chemo, also doesn't matter, but do these practices. And uh, make sure what ailments you have so that I give the proper uh, uh, proper guidance what you should do which pranayams need to be avoided for a time being or so on so anyway now we have these eight limbs of practice um, in the Patanjali uh, the practice is yama niyama uh, asana and the pranayama now uh, the other four the other four practice is uh, pratyahara Dharana, Dhyana, and Samadhi. Now Pratyahara means not reacting, dropping your uh, senses uh, from the sensual object. That means in short way, we could say like we are not reacting. We are not reacting with the sensual objects. Let's say if I see this watch, I'm not saying, oh, this is watch, nice, good. They're not playing around the game. You're just seeing the watch, that's it. You're not playing the sensual games, like, oh, this is good. Oh, I could have that one. Maybe this is looking similar to my brother's watch or something like that, you know? Not playing around the intellectual games or conscious games. So um, not playing with the senses, I would say. Pratyahara is dropping the senses or not reacting. And we have this uh, uh, dharana, uh, which talks about how to focus on the object, one object, like, uh, like a deity or like a candle, you know, then you tend to sit and then meditate, focus on it, not uh, running around here and there consciously. And that's called the pratihara, the stability or uh, single-minded meditation. That also is a yoga. And then there is another uh, practice uh, which is called the Dhyana, that is the meditation. And here the understanding of meditation needs to be a little bit elaborated, clarified. The same single-pointed meditation, when it becomes matured or when you are used to it, you know, then that uh, part, that standard of meditation, the, uh, the used to or the, uh, the matured um, Meditation where you can keep that in a single point of mind when you come to that level, that's called the Dhyana And then there is the final one which is called the Samadhi is to become union with self To understand self or sometimes it could be the union with the God The union with the God and what do you mean by God? In the Hindu myth- uh, mythology, it's very beautifully defined God means G-O-D That means the generator, the operator, and the destroyer. You generate, you operate, and then you die. That means every cell is generating, operating for a time being, and it dies. Similarly, our body also generates in the mother's womb, and it operates over a lifespan of 60, 70, 80, 90, and then it drops. So we are talking about an energy. So when we talk about his spirit, when we talk about God, here we are talking about the energy that runs, you know, that makes decay. How how can a per, how can a body decay? For decaying, it needs some energy for decaying also. So anyway. So, uh, here it's dealing with that uh, thing, and the union with the God or that ultimate energy or the source within oneself, which we sometimes talk about the buddha within oneself. So it's similar to that energy. What is Buddha? buddha also is an energy which can eliminate all the disturbance and the weaknesses of the mind or the ignorance. Or we can say another way, pure instinct. Pure instinct is also an energy. So, <clears throat> now we understood that, uh, now let me summarize once again, <laughs> before I become uh, like go on and on, make it more complicated. Here we talk about the yoga. Yoga literally means union, to understand self. And when we understand ourselves, we understand the whole universe. And we have better relationship, we have better understanding, we are more peaceful we are more happy so isn't that a very beautiful life so and we eliminate uh, all those negative forces uh, that disturbs our mind or that overtakes our pure conscious anyway to union with oneself uh, to go into deeper and this uh, yoga, uh, the introduction of yoga, is done in the Vedas. And then the Vedas were like 7,000 to uh, 5,000 years before the Christ era, uh, which comes around 9,000 years ago. And there are four Vedas. And then the core teaching of the Veda lies into in the end episode of Veda, which is called Vedanta. And then this Vedanta describes from master to disciple, master to disciple, descendant, and then it was written, is called the Upanishad. And in the Upanishad, there are various types of Upanishad. And among that Upanishad, there is a Upanishad called Yoga Tattva Upanishad, uh, union element uh, uh, Upanishad, where all the yogas are mentioned. And there are four types of yoga, mantra yoga, laya yoga, Um, uh, uh, This um, um, Raja Yoga is the highest of it. Uh, Yes, we have Heart Yoga. Thank you. (laughs) This is called mindfulness. (laughs) (laughs) So, we have this Heart Yoga. And um, the Raja Yoga is the king of all the Yogas. And the core teaching of the Raja Yoga is mentioned by the Patanjali Yoga, uh, in the Patanjali Yoga Sutra, I would say, the text. And in the Patanjali Yoga Sutra, uh, there are four texts and four practice. I would say four, no, four uh, texts and eight limbs practice. And among that eight limb practice, which is yama, niyama, um, asana, um, Pranayama, and then Pratyahara, Dharana, uh, Dhyana, and uh, the Samadhi. The four uh, limbs practice, the first four, uh, which is Yama, Niyama, um, um, Asana, and the Pranayama, is the initial level of practice. Remember this. It is to condition oneself. It is to make the foundation so that the person can do the four other yanas, or yogas, Which is pratyahara, dhyana, and so on. You see, so the ultimate goal is to come to the samadhi. Remember, the samadhi is the ultimate point of the yoga practice, and here samadhi means to union with self. You got it. So, on the way to uh, to get union. we on the way to get union to serve on that process on the way we get health physical health we get mental peace and then union is the spirituality and always remember these are the three phases that we have to go we need physical health mental peace and then only there is a possibility of spirituality. Otherwise, spirituality seems a funny game. No one likes it. So, even those bombers in Boston, if you talk and preach, they're going to hit you back, I tell you. No, because there is no mental peace. You need certain amount of physical health and mental peace in order to progress in spirituality. Before that, you give the spirituality, oh, oh, that's wrong. That's gonna be totally wrong process. So, physical health, and then mental peace, and then the spiritual growth. There is a possibility. And as you see these eight limbs, the first, they're talking about asana, pranayama, to have a good body, and then the good mind, you know, mental peace. And then some sort of good relationship with oneself and the society where Yama and Niyama talk. And then one day there is a possibility of Dhyana, Dharana and then the Samadhi. Am I clear with that? Now, with this understanding now, if we practice, then I think even those coming from the Christian background, Muslim background, everyone can do yoga. Yoga. Because the ultimate is to connect with the God, or Allah, or the Buddha would whatsoever. So to connect with self, to discipline oneself, with the society, oneself, and uh, have good good health, good uh, mental uh, health as well. Everyone needs, despite any religion or non-believers. It doesn't matter. It's a human right. It's a human nature, origin, I would say to be happy, to be peaceful. No one would say that I want no peace. I want frustration. I love frustration. <laughs> no one would say. I tell you whether this is a believer or non-believer, whether this comes from this religion, that religion, doesn't matter. No one would say, I love cancer. I love hepatitis. I love AIDS, HIV. No one would say that. No one likes it. I love pain. No one would say that, whether it's physical or mental. So these things are, how you say, conditioned. You know, we, by doing the yoga practice, we are becoming more healthy and happy. And then maybe while chanting, we have less irritation. Maybe meditation, less irritation. <laughs> Otherwise, no mental peace and no physical health, I think, you go down. Your productivity goes down. So so because of that, the four limb practice first kept first, seriously, they kept first, uh, which is also related with the Hatha Yoga, the first four. And the the second four is to more focus on the mind rather than body, speech and uh, relationship around. So I think uh, it might have made a little bit uh, deeper understanding. Um, before coming to class, I don't know what expectation the yoga you might have. And now it's more like uh, quite different from what you might have understood. Am I right? It's making more deeper and broader understanding. So this is yoga. So don't expect like yoga is only like ah oh, oh, the the postures. No. So yoga is also the yama and niyama where it talks about how to deal with the society. So how can that be a yoga? How can that be a union? You are united with the positive attitude. Isn't that a yoga? Now sort of like our attitude, honesty, maybe sort of like disconnected. So we are trying to connect with it. Isn't that a yoga? We're merging it. So I think um, our time is up. So we have like uh, one hour. This is a one hour talk. So I'll give half an hour to make me understand how much you have understood. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you for giving this opportunity. And also thank you uh, that you came here. And whatever uh, the little merit that we have, let us uh, dedicate it. And after the dedication, you can do the question answers. Is that okay? Okay, I'll do the dedication verse, and we have half an hour question answer. <laughs> लांचे भी जवां